for those of you guys that, that have been here for a while, you know that we're, we're kind of on a journey through the Bible. We're going through the Bible uh, in a whole year, uh, seeking after Jesus and, and desiring to, to know more about the story that, that you and I are a part of. I, I think it's really easy to forget that, that uh, there's a history that, that has been going on for quite a while, and, and you and I are in the midst of that. And there's going to be a future. There's, there's things that, that are going to happen either in our lifetime or after our lifetime that, that we've kind of been told about and we don't fully understand, but we have glimpses of. Um, and so if, if you've been following along, something weird happened this week. Do you know what happened? What happened, Shirley? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so we went from First and Second Kings to Isaiah, uh, which if, if you've ever looked at a Bible, there's quite a few books in between uh, Second Kings and Isaiah. There's a reason for that. If you guys remember when we watched the first video, um, they're kind of helping paint the picture of, of what was going on by changing the order a little bit. And then second, First and Second Chronicles will be done at the end of the Old Testament to, as kind of a review. So otherwise, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles at the same time, it's like a slog, you know? You're like, I feel like I just read this not too long ago. So, uh, so that way, you know, you've got, it's kind of like reading all four Gospels one after the other. Have you guys ever done that? It's not bad, but it's good to have some breaks in between, you know, to have like Romans or, you know, have something in there so it's not just like, Okay, confession time. When, when I read like Matthew and then I go straight to Mark and I get to the stuff that I just read in the last book, I tend to skim over it more, you know, and, and not actually focus. And so I think that's one of the reasons that the, uh, for, the, for the reading plan change that we have. And, and so we're, we're in Isaiah. And if, if you remember, First and Second Kings, what, what happened? What was First and Second Kings about? Rebellion? Yeah. We, we got to meet a lot of kings, huh? And, and what, what do we know about these kings? Were these kings like great people? No. No, they were kind of like bad babysitters, right? You, uh, you, you're not going to hire them again and you're done, you know? And, and so what, what happened is, is you have all of these different kings, both over Israel and of Judah, because the kingdom split, remember? And so you, you have these kings, and, and man, it's, it's just horrible. You know, it's, it's like three bad kings, one halfway decent king who dies like two months later, and then you've got seven bad kings again. Um, it's, there's just not a lot of hope. And, and, and part of it is that the kings just really didn't care about their heritage. They, they really didn't care about the story that they were involved in, about their history. They wanted things their own way. Sound familiar? And, and where we're at in our life is, is I might not have a king over me, but I can choose to be my own king. I can choose to live my life my own way. And Isaiah is a, a, great, a great time to reflect on that because what, what happens with Isaiah is that God uses Isaiah the prophet to speak to the people and say, hey, you know, back 
in the Old Testament back, well, this is the Old Testament, back when, when you guys were with Moses, right? And Moses was talking to you about, about blessing and curse. He was talking to you guys about following God. He said, you know, and, and if you choose not to follow God, these things are going to happen, right? Now, do you guys have any idea, like, let's say from Mount Sinai to, to Isaiah, how many years that is? Okay, we're, we're not talking like four, all right? We're talking about 700 years, right around there, 700-ish. Different archaeologists kind of debate certain aspects of it, but 700-ish years. Um, Exodus was in, you know, in Deuteronomy, it was probably in around 1400 B.C., and Isaiah takes place probably in around 700 B.C. And so, uh, here we have Isaiah speaking to the king, speaking to the people, and, and he's saying, look, for so long... You guys have been choosing your own thing. You guys, you guys have been ignoring God and, and the time's up. This is it. Uh, there's, there's no coming back from this. God is going to do what He promised in the very beginning. You've lost your land. You've lost your freedom. A nation is going to come in. The nation is going to conquer you. They're going to, to remove you from your home. And you'll, you'll be strangers in a foreign land. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody doing that to us? Right? Like, hey, by the way, North Korea, they're going to they're gonna come in and do whatever. What would we probably do? Right? They're crazy. <laughs> you know? They're dumb. So this, it's kind of an interesting take. And so what, what I want to focus on, next week we'll kind of talk more about uh, the big picture of, of what's going on, but, but what I really wanted to look at this week is, is from Genesis, there's been this, uh, this, this hint of something else. Okay, there, there's been this hint of, of this idea of a Messiah. Of, 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 of this person who, who is coming to fix everything. And so the people originally thought that, that that person might be King David, right? Because King David, in, in the people's eyes, was a great king. But what was wrong with David? He was like us. Yeah? He had his issues like we have ours. He was a man capable of, of making good and bad choices. And so... Somebody was promised to come from the line of Judah, from, from King David's line, who would help restore what God had, uh, help restore the people in God's creation. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, first off. Isaiah chapter 9, and it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Do we have that? Curtis? Thank you. Uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Their rejo they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. 
Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, depending on who you are in this story, right? This is either good news or bad news. If you're a corrupt king, all of a sudden this prophet is, is preaching about a new king. Okay? A, a, a king who's going to come. And, and this king, this king is, 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 is a king that's full of justice and righteousness, which, which immediately applies what about the current king? Right? Yeah. How would you feel about that? You know? It's kind of like, you know, under new management because the last management was bad. Um. <laughs> so Isaiah didn't really get a lot of positive attention from this message, as you can probably imagine. Um, now, if you were oppressed, right? If, if you were the people who, who were looking up and, and you were seeing the corruption of the king, you, you were seeing the way that, that he abused the people, then this would be good news, right? This would be great news. It gets even better though. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is beautiful. It's got so many, um, so many great pictures of what's to come, of, of God's heart, of what has happened in the past. Uh, Read it, okay? Read it. That's all I'm going to say. It's, it's only like 70 chapters or something. So No, it's like, what, 60-something? All right, <clears throat> Isaiah uh, chapter 11. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And, and so we get two great pictures here. Okay? Picture one is, is, is again a picture of this king. Okay? And, and really, this king is who? Christ. This king is Jesus. 
And, and so when, when we look at the first half of this, I, I don't know about you, but I, I see all of Jesus' actions described right here in these verses. You know, as, as Jesus is dealing with, with corrupt re- religious leaders, as, as Jesus is, is showing love and affection and forgiveness for, for people that, that the religious leaders were calling unclean, that they were untouchable, they were, they were people that just weren't investing in. Right? People like prostitutes. People like tax collectors, which this time of year, you and I can probably feel the same way. Um, you know, there, Jesus looked and saw things differently. And, and I want to read part of what He says again. It says in, in verse 3, it says, He will not judge by what He sees with His eyes or decide by what He hears with His ears, but, the righteousness he will ju- but with righteousness He will judge the needy. With justice He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And, and I love that because that's exactly what I see Christ doing. And, and I don't know about you, but that's the kind of King that I want. Right? I want the person who's over me to be that kind of compassionate but yet wise King. And, and going back to what I said earlier about us being our own King in this day and age, right? I mean, because we have what? We have senators, we have governors, we have presidents, but are they really over me? If you guys read Facebook, obviously they're not over any of us all that well, right? There's, there's some, depending on who we like and who we don't like, you know? Woohoo! Go! No, don't go. You know, I mean, we... Uh, yeah. I don't like Facebook anymore. I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, especially this time of year. <laughs> and really, I, I wish that I didn't have to say that because the election's over, but things just keep getting worse. Um, not just here, but in our world. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the elections that are going on uh, over in Europe. And, that, and so when we, when we talk about a king and, and, and we talk about these things of Christ, we, we also have to remind ourselves that, that not only do our kings or our rulers not fit the bill, but, but I also don't either. when I want to rule my own life, when I want to, to be the person who makes the decisions, who makes the judgments, I don't necessarily judge with, righteous, with a righteous heart. Does that make sense? I, I, have you guys ever been guilty of making quick snap judgments on people? Have you guys ever done something like that and then found out something different later and you're like, oh man, I was kind of a jerk. You know, I can't believe I did that. Um, that's never happened to me, so you guys yeah. need to... Um, and so we, we, we are painted this picture of this beautiful king. This, this person that's, that's coming and, and it gives us his qualities. It, it gives us his heart. It, it shows us how he's going to be a person who is in awe and respect of God and that he, how He's going to, to, to follow God's ways, God's decrees. But then it also gives us something else. What does all this language mean when in verse 6 when it talks about the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie with the goat? What is, what is that? Huh? Peace. It's, 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 it's also painting a picture of the kind of world this king is going to give us. 
right? Now, now I don't, I don't know about you, but um, have you guys ever watched like National Geographic or Discovery and saw like the lion that's kind of hunting things or the leopard that's chasing or the cheetah, right? It's, it's one of those things that even though it's real life, I don't want my kids necessarily watching it because it can be hard. Um, you know, I, even though I'm from Wyoming and I joke about Wyoming all the time, uh, it's hard for me even like going hunting. Uh, Jenny's parents go hunting and, and you know, I, I, I'm so thankful for, for the bounty of food. Right? I'm so thankful to have deer or elk, um, but to do the dirty work myself isn't as easy because there's that respect, I guess, that I have for life, that, that value. And not that hunting means that you don't value it or anything like that, but I don't know, maybe I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't have to see it, right? Yep. It's just like, you know, in Central Oregon, we had this guy who worked for the, for the city, and he was part of the sewer department, you know, and, and he would start to talk about, like, those bad days, you know, like, where you go to work, and you just have those kinds of days, and I'm like, dude, I don't want to hear it, but I'm so thankful for what you do, you know, because um, I don't want to mess with it, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those, those areas of life I'm thankful that are kind of taken care of for me, um, and so, so Isaiah paints this picture of this coming king and, and this coming kingdom. And ah, it's beautiful. He, he goes on to talk about other things that, that I'm, I'm not going to go into right here, but, but he talks about you know, taking weapons and, and beating them with ha- hammers and, and turning swords into plowshares. Right? He, he talks about, he paints, paints a picture of, of a community working together that, that no longer will, will one man work by the sweat of his brow, and others take the profit. Instead, he'll, he'll work by the sweat of his brow for himself and for his family. You know, one of those things that I'm constantly beating like a dead horse, I feel like, is, is this idea that, that when we talk about heaven, right, we, we tend to think of, of togas and, and wings and, and you're up in the clouds and, and all that kind of stuff. But if, if you read Scripture, that is not heaven. Now, it gives us pictures of, of, of God being somewhere and, and there's imagery that I don't fully understand. But what the Bible talks about is, is God making a renewed earth. Something similar like the Garden of Eden when He first created things, but now instead of being a garden with two people, it's a city with all of God's faithful. And I don't know about the clothing part, but let's just hope it's not going to be like the garden. It's going to be a little more civilized, right? <clears throat> but And so the, the pictures that Isaiah paints of, of this coming king and, and the coming kingdom and the good things that, that's going to happen, uh, I'm ready for. And, and like the, the, the Israelites at this time, I think our, our world longs for it. I, I, I don't know about you, but I get depressed looking at all the things going on in our world because it seems like it's just bad news all the time, right? And, and again, I, I know that I'm going back to Facebook, but 
You know, it's, it's just, there's, I don't know if you see the little news things on the side. Most of the time, it's just not happy. And the things that are happy, I don't know if you see those, those posts where it's like, you'll never believe what happened next, right? And it's supposed to be some sort of good thing. I don't click on those either because, I don't know. Now I'm going off on Facebook. But, um, our, our world longs for this restoration that this king will bring. I, I long for this restoration that this king will bring. The peace that it's going to bring. The wisdom and the governance that this king is going to bring. And, and the great thing about this king and about this story that's, that's going on, again, that you and I are in the midst of, is that we get to partner with this king and bring these things here now. Now, we're never going to do it perfectly, but, but you and I can help stop injustice now. You and I can help contribute to good things in the world now. You know, Jamie prayed for, for Del and Sue. Del and Sue are over in Africa, not, you know, hanging out on a beach somewhere. I don't even know if there's beaches in Africa. I've never been out of the United States. But uh, they're over there working with communities so that they can have clean drinking water so that their kids won't get sick. So, so that people won't die from something as, something as small, at least here, as clean drinking water. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that they've chosen to give their heart and talents to. You and I, we have options of, of, of investing our life in things that will, will bring about good things here on earth. Does that make sense? Okay. And so next week, um, next week we're going to look at Judah and Assyria and Babylon and the things that's, that's going on there and, and what happens. So, but before we close, uh, I want to show the Isaiah video. And, and hold on one sec, Curtis. I, need to, I forgot to hand these out. Jamie, do you mind? So Isaiah is a two-part video. So, we're only going to do half of Isaiah today. And then, the next video is Hosea. And so that will be, um, that'll be two Sundays from now. So, and then, Jamie will get you, Katie. Alright, Curtis. prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period, and he spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. He spoke, first of all, a message of God's judgment. He warned Israel's corrupt leaders that their rebellion against their covenant with God would come at a cost, that God was going to use the great empires of Assyria and after them Babylon to judge Jerusalem if they persisted in idolatry and oppression of the poor. 
But that announcement was combined with a message of hope. Isaiah believed deeply that God would one day fulfill all of his covenant promises, that he would send a king from David's line to establish God's kingdom, remember 2 Samuel 7, that he would lead Israel in obedience to all of the laws of the covenant made at Mount Sinai, remember Exodus chapter 19. And all of this was so that God's blessing and salvation would flow outward to all of the nations, like God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And it's this hope that compelled Isaiah to speak out against the corruption and idolatry of Israel in his day. Now, the book has a pretty complex literary design, but there's one simple way to see how it all fits together. Chapters 1 through 39 contain three large sections that develop Isaiah's warning of judgment on Israel. And it all culminates in an event pointed to at the end of chapter 39, the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the people to Babylon. But in chapters 1 to 39, there's also a message of hope that after the exile, God's covenant promises would all be fulfilled. And chapters 40 to 66 pick up that promise of hope and develops it further. In this video, we're just going to focus on chapters 1 to 39. The first main section focuses on Isaiah's vision of judgment and hope for Jerusalem, and it begins as Isaiah accuses the city's leaders of covenant rebellion, idolatry, injustice, and God says he's going to judge the city by sending the nations to conquer Israel. Isaiah says that this will be like a purifying fire that burns away all that's worthless in Israel in order to create a new Jerusalem that's populated by a remnant that has repented and turned back to God, and Isaiah says that that's when God's kingdom will come and all nations will come to the temple in Jerusalem and learn of God's justice, bringing about an age of universal peace and harmony. Now it's this basic storyline of the old Jerusalem purifying judgment into the new Jerusalem. This is going to get repeated over and over throughout the book, getting filled in with increasing detail. So, at the center of this section is Isaiah's grand vision of God sitting on his throne in the temple. And he's surrounded by these heavenly creatures that are shouting that God is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah suddenly realizes just how corrupt he and his people Israel are. And he's certain that he's going to be destroyed by God's holiness, but he's not. God's holiness, in the form of this burning coal, comes and burns him, but not to destroy. Rather, it purifies him from his sin. And as Isaiah ponders the strange experience, God commissions him with a very difficult task. He is to keep announcing this coming judgment, but because Israel has reached a point of no return, his warnings are going to have a paradoxical effect of hardening the people. But Isaiah is to trust God's plan. Israel is going to be chopped down like a tree and left like a stump in a field. And that stump will itself be scorched and burned. But after all of that burning, God says that this smoldering stump is a holy seed that will survive into the future. It's a small sign of hope, but who or what is that holy seed? The rest of this section offers an answer. Isaiah confronts Ahaz, a descendant of David and a king of Jerusalem, and he announces his downfall. God says that it's the great empire of Assyria who will first chop Israel down and devastate the land, but there's hope. Because of God's promise to David, he's going to send after this destruction a new king named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Emmanuel's kingdom is going to set God's people 
free from violent oppressive empires. And Isaiah describes this coming king as a small shoot of new growth that will emerge from the old stump of David's family. It's this king that's the holy seed from chapter 6. And the king is going to be empowered by God's spirit to rule over a new Jerusalem and bring justice for the poor, and all nations will look to this messianic king for guidance. His kingdom will transform all creation, bringing peace. Now, you finish chapters 1 through 12 with a pretty good understanding of Isaiah's message of judgment and hope. But when will this all happen? Isaiah saw another empire arising after Assyria, and that's Babylon, who would also attack Jerusalem and actually succeed in destroying it. And that brings us into the next sections of the book. So first, we have a large collection of poems that explore God's judgment and hope for the nations. We learn, first of all, of the fall of Babylon and Israel's neighbors. Isaiah could see that Assyria's world power would one day be replaced by the empire of Babylon, a nation even more destructive and arrogant. Babylon's kings claimed that they were higher than all other gods, and so God vows to bring Babylon down. And not only Babylon. Isaiah goes on to list Israel's neighbors, accusing them all of the same kind of pride and injustice, and he predicts their ultimate ruin. But remember, for Isaiah, God's judgment is never the final word for Israel or the nations. And that leads into the next section with a series of poems that tell a tale of two cities. There's the lofty city that has exalted itself above God and become corrupt and unjust. This city is an archetype of rebellious humanity and is described with language that's all borrowed from Isaiah's earlier descriptions of Jerusalem and Assyria and Babylon all put together. This city is destined for ruin and one day is going to be replaced by the New Jerusalem, where God reigns as king over a redeemed humanity from all nations, and there's no more death or suffering. These chapters are the climax to this section, and it shows how Isaiah's message pointed far beyond his own day. It was a message for all who are waiting for God to bring his justice on violent, oppressive kingdoms and bring his kingdom of justice and peace and healing love. The following section returns the focus to the rise and fall of Jerusalem. And first we find a whole bunch of poems where Isaiah accuses Jerusalem's leaders for turning to Egypt for military protection against Assyria. He knows this will backfire. And Isaiah says that only trust in their God and repentance can save Israel now. Which gets illustrated by the following story about the rise of Hezekiah, king of Jerusalem. Just as Isaiah predicted, the Assyrian armies come and try to attack the city. And so Hezekiah humbles himself before God and he prays for divine deliverance and the city is miraculously saved overnight. But Hezekiah's rise is immediately followed by his fall. So he hosts a delegation from Babylon and he tries to impress them by showing everything in Jerusalem's treasury and temple and palaces. It's clearly an effort to make another political alliance for protection. Isaiah hears about this and he confronts Hezekiah for his foolishness. He predicts that this ally will one day betray him and return as an enemy to conquer Jerusalem. And we know from 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25 that Isaiah was right. Over a hundred years later, Babylon would turn on Jerusalem, come and destroy the city, its temple, and carry the Israelites away to exile in Babylon. 
And so all of Isaiah's warnings of divine judgment in chapters 1 to 39 lead up to this moment. He's shown to be a true prophet because it all came to pass like he said. But remember, the purpose of God's judgment was to purify Jerusalem and bring the holy seed and messianic kingdom over all nations. And it's that hope that gets explored in the next part of the book. But for now, that's what Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 are all about. Right, and so um, really quick, if, if you guys haven't been here for a while or, or you haven't been here at all and you don't know what's going on, um, uh, there is an app on smartphones called Read Scripture. That's what we've been using this year as, as we work through the Bible. And so these, these videos are on there. This artwork is on there. Uh, if you don't want to take the... Um, kind of the, the book drawings home. You can leave it. We'll pass it out again next week um, so that you can look at it. If you want to take it home and use it as you study through, if you feel like studying through and joining us, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, but my, my hope is that the, the maps, the videos, the sermons, everything is kind of helping guide you through the Bible and understanding the bigger story of it in ways that maybe you haven't had before. So, so anyway, next week, uh, we'll continue Isaiah and, and wrap that up and, and learn more about the story. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. You know, Abba, you know, God, I guess thank you for hope. Lord, thank you that, that in the midst of of, of the story, even, you know, that, that we're studying right now and, and you... Um, are allowing the fruit of Israel's choices to, to bring about punishment, to, to bring about a complete change for them. Something that, that looks absolutely hopeless. And, and I would imagine for the people of that time, um, seemed just so impossible that, that another country could come in and, and take them over and, and ship them out. God, that, that you still gave this vision of hope. You still gave the people this, this picture of what's to come. You know, God, God in, in our lives, I, I think that, that we've all experienced those moments to where we could use some hope. God, that, that we could use um, glimpses of, of something better. And so God, I, I, I thank You for Jesus. I, I thank You for His heart. I thank You for who He is. I thank You that not only do we have prophecies in the Old Testament that, that, that talks about what kind of king He's going to be, but, but we get to see it. We get to experience uh, the stories of, of Him uh, relating with people and, and, and loving on people and journeying with people. God, and, and it's It's miraculous. And, and thank you that we also get this picture of peace. Something that we have, maybe we have glimpses of in, in our own nation, but we've never really experienced. God, it's, it's breathtaking. Um, I long for it. 
And lastly, God, I, I guess would you just speak to us personally, individually, and, and to show us how we can partner with you um, to, to bring about peace in this world. God, to, to where we can bring about your goodness in this world. Wholeness. Because we can always do our part to make things better. Thank You for Your Word, for the way that that You move. Um, And I trust that Your Spirit was speaking to us. In Jesus' name, Amen.